the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back on every major international issue confronting us. Brandon J. Weikert is the expert and teacher most needed just now. We are delighted he is our friend and he shares his brain with us every Monday. He is the author of, among other things, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, The Shadow War, Ron's Quest for Supremacy, and Biohacked, China's Race to Control life. He has uh, a column in the Asia Times on uh, why did China send a balloon? He is a columnist there. He has a column over at the Washington Times on uh, the risk of uncontrolled escalation in the Russia-Ukraine war. Brandon, thanks for being with us. Much appreciated. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here as always. You bet, brother. You bet. I spent some time in the first hour reviewing uh, the China uh, balloon situation what would you say, uh, irrespective of what I may or may not have said, what would you say is the most or are the most important things we need to know right now about what transpired last week? Well, the first thing we need to, to realize is that President Biden uh, opted to ignore this uh, balloon. It's really uh, an endoatmospheric satellite. Uh, say that five times fast, yeah. though. Uh, You know, so this balloon, um, he opted to ignore it, uh, not because he didn't know about it or because he thought it wasn't a big deal, but because he was more concerned about Tony Blinken, the secretary of state, having that silly global warming confab with the Chinese leadership, where basically the United States was going to sell out its own interests to get a global warming deal uh, with uh, China. Uh, if it wasn't for local newspapers in Montana telling Washington and the Pentagon to back off, uh, that they're going to run this story no matter what, we wouldn't have known about it. Biden would have covered it up, and we probably would have gone to the global warming meeting, and we probably would have sold our economic future to say nothing of our national security uh, to the Chinese for their false promises of working with us on this trumped-up issue of global warming. So that's the context here. We have sold our national security down the line. The second thing to understand is that, as I noted in a, a few weeks ago in my American Greatness column, What World Order, uh, we are no longer living in the U.S.-led international order. Those days are done. Um, it's not a unipolar moment anymore. We are now in a tripolar or multipolar environment where you now have at least three major powers, United States, China, Russia, all jockeying for dominance. And part of that jockeying for dominance stuff is things like surveillance missions of the sort that we experienced with the dreaded balloon. Um, The balloon is something that the Chinese have been using for over a decade in the South China Sea. They use it to augment their satellite surveillance of that region. Uh, They use that for real-time targeting and tracking of U.S. naval warships in the South China Sea. Uh, they've now apparently have scaled this program up. Their their company, uh, Huawei, provides the technology that's on the underneath of the balloon, the actual surveillance equipment. 
So this balloon is part of that scaled-up program. I would expect more of these incidents to happen. In fact, if you believe it, the, the Biden administration has coaxed the Pentagon into basically saying that, well, this happened a bunch under Trump's presidency, too. Although um, Mark Esper, the former Secretary of Defense, who has no, re no love for Donald Trump has categorically denied that this ever happened when he was working in the Pentagon under Trump. This sounds like a cover-up. This sounds like deflection by the Biden people. Might might be an invention. It might be an invention. It might very well be. But the bottom line is this this event is not the one-off or end. It is the beginning of a new of a new paradigm in which China is desperately trying to gain uh, real-time updates on our military's disposition by looking not just at our deployed forces overseas, but they're trying to get a read on what we're doing in the homeland. And I would remind your audience that we've been acting a little unhinged as well. We, in the last few weeks, breaking the norm, and you and I know that this needed to happen, but we did break the norm by having multiple generals of ours come out and say, we're going to be at war with China by 2025. Yep. This is on the heels of our generals and the Biden administration not making Zelensky walk back his calls for nuking Russia and for overthrowing Russia's regime under Putin and for uh, breaking Russia into its component parts. Uh, the Chinese are probably looking at this going, we need to figure out, is this just bluster from the Americans or is this something real? And that's one of the reasons I think why they deployed this thing into our airspace is to figure out what the posture of our nuclear forces were and to get a read on, on any possible targets, because they have a much more robust hypersonic uh, weapons program, in my opinion, uh, than we do. And those hypersonic weapons could very well be used as a first strike if the Chinese think we're getting ready to do some kind of a first strike of our own. So this is the new reality. This is the new paradigm. We are not prepared. This, this, uh, our response, or lack thereof, proves that we are not ready, Seth. And uh, we're going to get our butts handed to us in the next great power war, which I think you're at the opening uh, contours of right now. Two questions, Brandon. Thank you for that overview uh, very much. Um, yeah. Two quick questions. So do you think the ultimate lesson China learned from this, shall we call it, trial balloon was <laughs> that um, Joe Biden was willing to ignore this in favor of a domestic left-wing green agenda that would coddle the Chinese until it became unignorable. That's question one. Is that the lesson they took away? He was willing to compromise our sovereignty on this issue. Um, and two, it's a very separate question, really. Uh, so divide it any way you want. Is the Rhetoric of Mark Milley correct when he keeps saying we are not, as he did repeatedly this weekend, we are not uh, the enemy of China. China is not our enemy. Is that the right rhetoric? Well, the first thing is, to the first question, I think that the lesson learned is that, yeah, uh, Biden is not, you know, he's talked a big game about standing tough on China um, when he first was elected, when he first was inaugurated. He did bring in more hawkish people like Kirk Campbell. My understanding is over the last two years, those guys have been marginalized. Uh -huh. uh, and Biden himself has clearly shown with his actions that he is not interested in being very hawkish with China. He's listening to people like Richard Haas, who are advising him, hey, get a deal with China so you can go after Russia. And that seems to be what he's doing. The second point is with Milley. So I think it's important to note that He's not wrong, Milley, when he says that China is not our threat in the sense of the Chinese people. I think that 
where he's wrong is the the implication that the China government is not our threat. Um, and, you know, Milley has been very good for his career walking this very tight rope to keep the Democrats happy uh, in D.C. when he says these things. And when he says that, well, China is a competitor, but they're not a rival or they're a rival, but they're not the enemy. Mm-hmm. Well, the fact of the matter is the government of China runs China and the government of China is most assuredly at war on some level with the United States. They certainly have a supremacist vision of the future that sees China becoming the number one power at the expense of the United States. And so when Milley says these things, he sounds like the buffoon that he appeared to be on January 6th. And so, uh, you know, I have no faith in him. And I don't mean to cast any aspersions on anyone, but he's going to get us all killed. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the same general uh, chairman of our Joint Chiefs of Staff who was, uh, fix my memory, help me on my memory here, who was telling China uh, right. That's what you were making reference to, I think, yes. uh, that he was telling China uh, that that uh, about our maneuvers. He was telling China right. not to worry about any offensive maneuvers right. we may be taking. Right. right. Yes. And to be honest with you, if it were me and maybe this isn't the smart play, um, because in my column in the Asia Times, I am advocating for a little bit more restraint yeah. over this particular balloon issue. But during January 6th, if I were the Joint Chief of Staff, I'd be on the phone with the Chinese going, you better not mess with us yeah, right now. Yeah. You better not do this because you know you don't know what's going to happen next. Right. Um, Instead, but, he was you telling know, them, don't me. be afraid of us. Yeah. He was basically yeah. opening up our whole playbook yeah. and saying, see, you have nothing to fear. Right. When your enemies start, stop fearing you, yeah. um, that's when you get to a war. And that's exactly where we're at right now. Because why would Beijing fear us? By the way, Daily Mail now reports that this uh, balloon may have had an explosive device on it that it was very large. Our forces had to basically deactivate the explosive in the ocean to get near it. But the fact of the matter is the reason those explosives are there is because China, unlike our military and intelligence people, China actually wants to protect their technology. Yeah, it's probably secrets. more for self-destruction, don't it's you a, think? It is. It's yeah. exactly okay. what it is. Thanks. Let yeah. me take a quick commercial break. Let's turn to Russia, Ukraine. You wrote a ton, and I hate to... Uh, <laughs> I hate to uh, not exploit you (laughs) with all that you wrote. Uh, Let's turn to uh, what you wrote in uh, The Washington Times today on the risk of uncontrolled escalation. I'm Seth Liebson. He is Brandon Weikert. He is the publisher of The Weikert Report. You can follow him on Twitter as well. My gosh, what an active Twitter feed, especially today. It's at we, the Brandon, we, W-E, the Brandon. He and I will be right back. A recession is a drop in income and consumer spending, a rise in unemployment and increased business failures. Joe Biden won't admit it. He'll redefine it. But income declined last year because of inflation and real estate values are dropping and retailers are declaring bankruptcy and major companies are laying off thousands. Regardless of what Joe Biden says, looks like we're in a recession. It's going to get worse, which is why I recommend calling the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group to safeguard your money with the stability of gold with the only dealer I and thousands of you already trust. Gold holds its value when economies fail, guarding against the ravages of inflation and the ruin of a recession. Talk with the good folks at Midas Gold Group. They'll answer your questions and help you protect your savings and investments with the security of gold. Check them out at MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com. Or better yet, give them a call at 480-360-3000, 480 uh, 
Brandon Weikert is our guest, the author of Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, Shadow War, Ron's Quest for Supremacy, and Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. Columnist at the Washington Times, Asia Times, elsewhere. In his Washington Times piece today, Risk of Uncontrolled Escalation Inches Nearer in Ukraine War. A year ago, tomorrow, with Joe Biden's State of the Union address, Brandon, he rallied the nation by spending the first quarter of his speech last year talking about how we were going to protect Ukraine and defeat Russia. And it's not working out that way, is it? It is not. It is not. No, the uh, the, the the Russian invasion of Ukraine is entering its second year. It's a new phase. The Ukrainian military is on like its third iteration. They've lost, despite the official numbers set, they've lost over 100,000 troops. Their population base is much smaller than the Russians. Um, they can't sustain this. Uh, the, the, the Russians have already, this morning, it was reported in Newsweek that Bakhmut uh, Wagner Group is kicking the snot out of the Ukrainians, unfortunately. Um, the, the, this is kind this of a paramilitary not, group, right? Yes, yes. Uh, this, this is not, this is just the beginning of the offensive still. Right. We're in the shaping operations uh, phase. The Russians have got two, at least 200 T-90M tanks in eastern Ukraine that they put there in December. Now, admittedly, those tanks are not the most sophisticated, but they're not nothing. And their numbers give them a lot of advantages. Quantity has a quality all of its own. Mm-hmm. Um, and so th- th- this war is going to end. It, there will be no negotiation. I had been hoping for a long time that we would get a negotiated settlement. Uh, that preserved the core of Ukraine's sovereignty and ceded the eastern and Crimean region to the Russians, who've basically held it since 2014. But because of our intransigence, you and I talked about this before, uh, it looks like the Russians are totally mobilized now. There will be no going back. Um, The only hope that we have to really stop a total run on Ukraine, I think, is if Poland can annex western Ukraine, Galicia, uh, and basically draw a new line of control there and tell the Russians, you get the eastern and southern portion, but we're keeping the rest. Have a nice day. I don't think Putin is going to want to push deeper into NATO territory. So we might be able to get lucky if the Poles do that. But then again, if it's, you know, if six to eight months from now, Russia is totally mobilized and they've gone through this bloodbath and they finally won Ukraine. There might not be anything stopping them from pushing into someplace like Estonia uh, because they figure, hey, we're already going for broke. We've already broken with the West entirely. Now we want to humiliate NATO entirely uh, and make them basically be shown to be the weak, hollow force that they are. And unfortunately, NATO is a hollow and spent force. And Putin probably knows this or definitively knows it and is working off of that knowledge. And the question really becomes not whether NATO is a spent force, but whether Joe Biden in the United States is now a spent force. I mean, there's I mean, other than total and complete escalation, there's not much more we can do at this point, is there? And that yeah. And that's the point. That's why six months ago, five months ago, after we successfully helped in the defense of Kiev, I was saying, okay, now's the time, because if we don't negotiate now, Putin is going to go all in. And once he's all in, he's not going to stop because now he's totally committed. Um, And, uh, you know, now now there's nothing for us to do except either escalate into, God forbid, the nuclear realm or to do some kind of insane direct attack on Russia 
which will precipitate or a nuclear response from Russia, uh, or we just have to basically walk away. We're not going to walk away, but that's probably at this rate, unfortunately, what we should do. And that's because the people who have led us are children. They're ideological fools, and they're childlike. And they don't understand that in the real world, when you're dealing with nuclear great powers at war, you have to negotiate because the alternative is nuclear Armageddon. Yeah. Well, Brandon, um, if if this if this week was a week where, you know, China beat us in a military adventure, um, it looks like whatever Joe Biden says tomorrow night with regard to Russia, Putin is going to have a message for us um, because I don't think Joe Biden can ignore saying something about it tomorrow night, especially given how much time he spent on it last year in a state of the Union. Right. Right. And also, it doesn't really matter what Biden says. It doesn't matter what you and I say or anybody in Europe or the West say. What matters is how Russia is going to drive this thing, because they've got all the marbles. And um, Putin's made it clear this is he's all in. He is he is going to either win this thing or be overthrown. Those are the stakes for him. So he and he's he and look. Six months ago, it looked like he might have actually been kicked out of power. It looked like there were cadres forming against him. But he has managed to rally his people, and enough Russians now are PO'd that this war has gone on and that Russians have died the way they have, that they're now telling Putin, uh, you better not surrender. There's enough people in Russia who are now totally bought into this war, just like the Americans were with Iraq. We didn't like Iraq, but we stayed in it. Um, it's the same thing. R- Ukraine is Putin's Iraq war, uh-huh. and he is not going to drop this thing just like George W. Bush wasn't going to uh-huh. drop Iraq because this is his whole political existence on the line. And unlike our system, you don't just get thrown out of office if you lose; you get shot. Yeah, and Putin knows that. Uh, is it is did Joe Biden uh, is he set himself up for Ukraine to be um, his? I don't know. Iraq isn't exactly right because if we don't have the boots on the ground, et cetera. But it is a huge loss for the United States if he doesn't pull some rabbit out of a hat, a rabbit that, as you write, probably doesn't exist. Right. This is going um, to be, in other he, words, a failure for Biden. The, the, well, the entire Biden presidency has been a failure and somehow he keeps skirting by because he has a compliant media. Um, and, uh, you know, so he's he's going to this should be the end. I mean, this should be the end of his presidency. He's going to kill NATO. Trump it. was supposed to be the guy that did that. Yeah. He's going to be the one that does yeah. Biden. Yeah. Trump actually strengthened NATO. The weapons that were used to stop the Russian invasion last year, Kiev, were almost 100 percent given to Ukraine by Trump in 2018. That's right. That's right. OK, people forget about that. So yeah. Biden, this. This is a this is a this is the end of America as a as the global superpower. The next two years, it's a whole new world from here. That's it. Well, you know, when we're not undermining ourselves through folly, we seem to be doing it through deliberation. There's this piece you and I were reading uh, by Adam Credo about some work Antony yep. Blinken has done with regard to re- easing up on sanctions with Iran. Um, let's talk about that when we come right sure back. Thing. Yeah, you got it. I'm Seth Liebson. Uh, title, Biden gives Iran and Russia green light to continue nuclear work. Oh, and they didn't tell Congress about it either. Brandon and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Brandon Weikert is our guest. Winning Space uh, is one of his books uh, more relevant right now, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy. 
friend of ours has a piece uh, in the wash in uh, the uh, uh, Washington Free Beacon, Brandon, on um, something uh, that the State Department is kind of doing. It was trying to undermine Congress. I think undermining uh, actually the world order and all decency. Authorized waivers on sanctions against Iran um, that will uh, have the um, advantage, I guess, if it is the right word, of enwealthening um, both uh, Putin and um, give the mullahs uh, the opportunity to make billions uh, by, as I say, voiding the waivers that uh, Donald Trump and the previous administration put into place with regard to the sanctions against Iran and their nuclear program. Yeah, and this is part of a larger problem is that, I don't know if you saw this two days ago, Adam Credo also broke that uh, Israeli intelligence believes now that that Iran is just a few weeks away from having massive amounts of weapons-grade uh, nuclear materials. So this information and these stories are sort of building on top of one another. Think back to my piece at American Greatness both before Christmas and then I did a follow-up a few weeks ago about how Iran was shipping weapons-grade uranium to its proxies in the in the, the Yemen, uh, and in uh, they were trying, I think, to get them to um, the Hezbollah in Lebanon through uh, London, and it was intercepted uh, by British authorities. But the, the Iranians are clearly trying to spread nuclear material all throughout the region, all throughout the world. Why? I think it's because this is part of a larger move to launch some kind of an attack either against the United States, Europe, or more probably against Israel and the Sunni Arab states that will trigger a massive regional war that Iran thinks it can win. And Russia is happily, with these waivers now being given to them, going to be helping Iran's nuclear program build the infrastructure it needs to really get a robust uh, atomic weapons uh, capability going very quickly especially now because we've sanctioned and isolated Russia so much. This is kind of one of the only things they have that can make them money uh, and grow their economy in any meaningful way and keep them relevant on the world stage. Uh, So uh, basically, I think what you're seeing now is this new access forming Russia, Iran and China and maybe North Korea as well. um, And they're starting to consolidate and coordinate uh, in doing things that will undermine and threaten the, Uni- the United States and its allies as part of their larger plan of rewriting the global order to be more conducive or amenable to their autocratic ways. And Biden is letting them do this. That's the thing that just kills me. Biden is letting them do this. He is allowing for these waivers to go in, knowing full well it's not only going to empower Iran and threaten our allies and weaken us, But it's going to empower Russia, who he is apparently trying to wage nuclear war with over Ukraine. It's mind-boggling to me. You would think we have a dementia-addled man running the White House because nothing makes sense. Is the idea fixed here because they're trying to resurrect somehow or vindicate their own policy when Joe Biden was vice president? Or is it some kind of odd triangulation to get some kind of favor out of Putin, you think? I think it's a little bit of both. I think really that Biden did not anticipate the Ukrainians holding out the way they did. I think he thought the Russians were going to walk in there and just take it over like they did Crimea in 2014. So he is trying to throw a fig leaf or an olive branch rather to uh, Putin 
At the same time, he is trying desperately to restore the Obama-era nuclear agreement with Iran. By the way, and we talked about this a few months ago, there is a major fight breaking out behind the scenes in the Biden administration between the minority of hawks on Iran, or more like hawkish, led by Brett McGurk, uh, who's the Middle East specialist on the Biden National Security Council, who does not necessarily favor uh, the, the Iran nuclear deal being brought back online, and the rest of the administration, the dubs, uh, who very much want to complete the circle that Obama began by giving both the Middle East and nuclear weapons to Iran and thereby Russia and China. And so there is a fight going on within, within the White House I think McGurk's going to lose because he's outnumbered, just like Kirk Campbell lost on China. Yeah. Um, but this is what's going on. This is what happens when you have the world's worst president ever running the show or not running the show. At the most dangerous time. This was an abbreviated visit with you, Brandon. I appreciate yeah. your joining us, however, as Thank I you. always do. And we'll check in with you next week. God bless you, Talk sir. You Thank you week. very much. Yes, sir. You betcha. Bye-bye. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. A lot of you have been uh, hearing me talk about why refi for a while now. If you still have some questions, feel free to contact them at 888-YREFI-34 as they would love to put you in touch with any number of the many satisfied customers in the Phoenix area who are happily investing with them and getting great returns. Also, think about your IRA. Would you like it to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent on the stock market or Joe Biden's economy? Do you know you can invest with Y-Refi through an IRA or other qualified funds, and you can keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax-deferred? That's right. Your money can stay in your IRA, and you don't have to pay the taxes on the income that you earn. Y-Refi is a due diligence-approved firm, and they ask you to check them out at investyrefi.com. The word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y dot com, or 888-Y-Refi 34, 888 why refi 34 uh let's see here where was i going oh yeah you know this level of incompetencies at this white house um there's this new polling showing so many democrats not wanting joe biden to run for re-election we were wishing ronald reagan a happy birthday earlier he left the presidency he left the presidency younger than joe biden is today He left his two-term presidency two years younger than Joe Biden is today. Consider that. That raises the question of who then comes next. It continues out his term, then I think it's probably Gavin Newsom. If he doesn't, then we have the issue of Kamala Harris, which I'm going to turn to in just a moment. But first, I mean, you know, at what level of incompetence and suck do we have to become a use uh do we have to become accustomed to do we have to become used to current gp john pierre today uh was asked about um that whole ruse that the trump administration had three chinese balloons fly over u.s territory during it and you know she doesn't even prep for the question you know it's going to be a question you know it's going to be a question she doesn't even bother and the lack of shame in her inability. I mean, even if you weren't supposedly an expert at communications, even if you weren't supposedly 
an expert in defense. Someone with the slightest political instincts could have done better. I just want you, this is what we're used to now. This is what passes as competent in a job that I suppose one would say, well, we want more than competent in the White House press secretary. How is it possible that this administration discovered um, at least three previous balloons that flew over the U.S. under the previous administration, but Trump officials didn't know it was happening? Yeah, so look, I think that, uh, and we have talked about this before, about how um, uh, when it, um, when the PRC government surveillance balloons trans, uh, trans, trans, transited uh, the continental U.S. briefly at least three times, as you just mentioned, during the president's uh, prior administration, and once that we know of the beginning of this administration's, uh, but never for this duration of time, as we know, uh, this information was discovered prior to the admin- administration uh, left, uh, but uh, the intelligence community, as I said, is prepared to give, uh, give uh, briefings to key officials, uh, but this is something, uh, this is something, sorry, post, but this is something that we, we, they did not, they were not aware of, as, as we just laid out. Incredible. Just incredible. I love the part where she goes, as we've discussed before, as we've discussed previously. No, we haven't. No, we haven't. That's why it was a surprise to everyone this weekend. And, you know, the idea that you just aren't even going to expect that question, this is probably the next big crisis in the Biden administration once they get through and over the classified intelligence papers. By the way, notice that's co- totally gone. That, that, that now is totally gone. We're not going to have any more questions about that for a while, it would appear, unless Congress ramps up its investigations on it, which they can do, even though there is an investigation going on. Um, I... Uh, I, uh, I, tomorrow, Bill, we got to do it tomorrow. Too short of a time. We just had a guest call in. I'm going to see if we can schedule for tomorrow. Um, so, you know, the idea that you can just get away with talking like that is to me, um, <laughs> intolerable. But you know what? We've had it before. We have had it with Kamala Harris again and again and again, which is why I was kind of putting the two together that, um, that these people have risen to a level of incompetency. But if Joe Biden does not serve out his term, this is who we're stuck with. Now, something's going on because last week the Washington Post did a piece on Kamala Harris's troubles. And this week, as James Garrity points out, it's the New York Times. What's new about this one, he writes, is the detail that even people who are supposedly Kamala Harris's biggest supporters aren't enthusiastic about her any more. Here's the money quote from the New York Times. The painful reality for Ms. Harris is that in private conversations over the last few months, dozens of Democrats in the White House, on Capitol Hill, and around the nation, including some who helped put her on the party's 2020 ticket, said she had not risen to the challenge of proving herself as a future leader of the party, much less the country. Even some Democrats, whom her own advisors referred reporters to for supportive quotes, confided privately that they had lost hope in her. Wow. Even her friends that the administration was pointing to for good quotes said to the reporters they'd lost hope in Kamala Harris. How did Democrats get themselves into this mess? Jim writes, the broad outlines are clear. 
Joe Biden recognized that he was a particularly old white male running as the nominee of the self-proclaimed Party of Women and Party of Diversity. He promised he would pick a woman of color as his running mate, and Harris was really the only African-American woman option with national name recognition and who had been elected to statewide office. Biden could have picked California Representative Karen Bass, Florida Representative Val Demings, Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms, or former Obama advisor Susan Rice. But for one reason or another, he did not deem those figures best prepared to be president in emergency. But what made Harris the lone woman of color with national name recognition? She had run for president in the 2020 cycle. Even though Harris hadn't performed well and withdrew before any of the contests, her campaign made her more well-known and a more recognizable face than someone like Representatives Bass, Demings, or Mayor Bottoms, or Susan Rice, Lance Bottoms, or Susan Rice. Biden likely concluded that even a Trump-weary electorate might have doubts about putting a little-known congresswoman or mayor a heartbeat away from the presidency, particularly when it was his heartbeat. But the potential or likely weaknesses of Harris were obvious from the start. Representing California, she had never run in a competitive election. Detailed investigative reports laid out Harris's presidential campaign as dysfunctional. She had started strong in the first debate, ironically attacking Biden, but then flailed when taken down by Tulsi Gabbard. Few recall that in the run-up to Biden's selection, some of his closest advisors vehemently opposed picking Harris and tried to discourage her from going in that direction. The, an- the simple answer is Kamala Harris just isn't that good. But again, they have ramped up or they did ramp up all kinds of encomiums to her. Like this will now tell all women that they can now have seen themselves breaking another glass ceiling. All women now, all women of color, all people of color can now see, and get, which I never understood, be a vice president. I never understood if you are a person of color and you had the presidency – why the vice presidency was a glass ceiling. And I never understood why being someone's vice president was the ideal for young women when we had a presidential candidate in Hillary Clinton. More on that in a moment. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. And the real problem in all this with Kamala Harris's failures, the real problem in it all, by making her candidacy for the vice presidency all about her race and her gender and the notion that because of her race and her gender, she was so qualified for the job is, as you've heard me talk about before, what happens if she doesn't? What happens if she fails? All the cheers and encomiums about Kamala Harris showing young black girls and young women how high they can succeed and now seeing what a miserable failure she is. She got all this praise for her achievement, but it was based only on her race and gender. So what do we now blame for her terrible failures? If those were her qualities that was going to make her good, what do we now blame them on? Because it turns out She's a failure. What is to blame? This is just one of the saddest things in the world that happens when you play with this kind of fire. You play with this kind of fire. Shelby Steele put it uh, well in his uh, very first book, um, The Content of Our Character, in 1991. He said we are 
forging with these race-based affirmative action, with these race-based qualification schemes, where the qualification is your race, and everyone around you knows it, if you don't make it because you got there on race rather than sheer qualification, you have earned what he called the permanent stigma of questionable competence, which makes everyone raise their eyebrows about all other recipients of race-based affirmative action. It's a terrible thing to do to minority populations. It's a terrible thing. Obviously, obviously, and without question, we don't believe in any kind of collective responsibility whatsoever. But if that is the notion or qualification your race and you don't make it, what else are we to say? Or what else, not we, are others to think? Permanent stigma of questionable competence is the stamp Shelby Steele says we add to a population that's as qualified as any other if we would just take the race part out of it. But Joe Biden keeps playing that game, and now the fingers are burnt. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.